You are listening to a proper DBE podcast hosted by Georgia Abrams and brought to you by the Daughters of the British Empire. British Empire is a 501c3 nonprofit American Society of Women of British or Commonwealth birth or ancestry, sharing and promoting our heritage while supporting local charities and our senior living facilities across the US. Welcome to episode 10 of A Proper DBE Podcast. Before we begin, I have a couple more comments to share with you. First, a five-star review on our Apple podcast page. It says, I have enjoyed this podcast so very much. I highly recommend listening and finding out the background of the DBE and glimpses of British life. And then secondly, a message I received from Mary Hawks, who you'll remember from her wonderful knowledge of the history of tea. She says, bravo on your latest podcasts. Your dad reading Keats was just wonderful great work. I've been asked to tell you all about a fundraiser going on in Missouri. Knitted poppies are being sold for $5, and Remembrance Sunday is approaching us rapidly, so make sure you have a poppy to pin on yourself or your family members. You can buy these on our website, dbenational.org, by clicking on the Shop and Donate button in the right corner, or I will post a link to this in the show notes as well. Now, today I have something a little different for you. No guests, just me. Naturally, through hearing me talk to everyone over the course of the show, you hear bits and pieces about me and my life, but I wanted to share with you the history of an organization that is near and dear to my family, the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, or RNLI. So pour yourself a cup of tea and get comfortable. I've mentioned a couple times before that I grew up in Fleetwood. If you're not familiar with it, Fleetwood sits on a small peninsula on the northwest coast of England and was once a seaside resort, much like Blackpool, which is just a few miles to the south. Some of the more prominent architecture in Fleetwood was designed by the well-known Victorian-era architect Decimus Burton. Those designs include two inland lighthouses, the Upper Lighthouse, also known as the Pharos Lighthouse, named after the Pharos of Alexandria, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which I could see from my house and the lower lighthouse, which was, as you might guess, lower down on the promenade. There is a third lighthouse, the Wire Light, which is the first screw pile lighthouse to be built in Britain, but that's a story for another day. Until fairly recently, its main industry was fishing, as you might imagine, and fishermen's from the lozenges are still produced there. Both my dad and granddad worked down at the docks, Our house was three blocks from the beach, and I remember frequently hearing the maroons go off alerting the lifeboats, as I'm sure many of you who live near the coast do remember. One of the more infamous accidents in Fleetwood's history was that of the Red Falcon, which departed Fleetwood on the morning of November 25th, 1959, with a crew of 19 men. Wires had been sent to the family members of the crew, informing them that the ship should be returning on the evening of December 14th. Many of them went to the pier to greet their loved ones, but the ship didn't arrive. After 24 hours, a search began until wreckage washed up on Tyree in the Inner Hebrides. Life jacket markings confirmed that it was the Red Falcon. 25 children were left without fathers one week before Christmas. Homes kept their curtains closed and some took down their Christmas decorations out of respect for the lost souls and their grieving families. 
A bronze memorial statue was established next to the lower lighthouse in 1997. I was nine at the time. Titled Welcome Home, it shows a young mother with two children and a dog looking out to the sea and waving to the boat upon its return. I remember one particularly bad storm. Someone went and put raincoats on all of the figures in the statue, including the dog. It made the news the next morning. (laughs) It's no wonder in maritime towns like this we value lifeboats and the crews that serve them. The RNLI is a staple in many towns across Britain, including Fleetwood, so I took this as an opportunity to do a bit of research about their history. I'm going to take you back to 1823, when a man named William Hillary, a resident of the Isle of Man and witness to many shipwrecks on the coast, published a pamphlet that called for a lifeboat service, the National Institution for the Preservation of Lives and Property from Shipwreck, centered around, quote, a large body of men in constant readiness to risk their own lives for the preservation of those whom they have never known or seen, perhaps of another nation, merely because they are fellow creatures in extreme peril, unquote. It took a while for him to find people who would support his vision, but on the 4th of March, 1824, a crowd of interested gentlemen gathered at a pub in London. Twelve resolutions were passed, and over 30 members of the crowd signed their names to what became the Royal National Institute for the Preservation of Life from Shipwreck, with King George granting the royal prefix. The name was changed in 1854 to the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, as it still is today, but those original 12 resolutions remain. The RNLI's flag was created in 1884 by Leonora Preston, two years after her brother Robert was rescued from a shipwreck. She used St. George's Cross as the base of her design, outlining the red cross in a dark blue and the RNLI letters in red to each white canton. The Tudor crown, as worn by George IV, was placed in the center with a foul anchor. A foul anchor is an anchor whose cable has become twisted around the body of the anchor. These symbolize the RNLI's royal charter and its dedication to the sea. The flag is the same today, with the exception that the Tudor crown was replaced with the St. Edward's crown upon the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Through World War I, 5,332 lives were saved in 1,808 different launches, despite the fact that the average age of the lifeboat crew increased significantly, with most of the young men being on the front lines. During World War II, another 6,376 lives were saved, and the lifeboats took on other tasks to aid in the war efforts. These included towing vessels containing explosives or top-secret intel, rescuing aircrew, getting food to remote villages, and taking doctors and priests to the injured and dying. Then, on the 30th of May, 1940, two RNLI crews from Ramsgate and Margate and a total of 19 lifeboats became part of Operation Dynamo at Dunkirk. The port was destroyed and surrounded only by shallow waters, making a mass evacuation impossible. Britain's Ministry of Shipping issued an urgent call. All boats with a shallow draft between Hull and Southampton should report to Dover. In 24 hours, 700 little ships had gathered. The RNLI crew were responsible for 3,400 of the 338,000 rescued troops. It wasn't until 1969 that the first trained women joined the RNLI. 18-year-old Elizabeth Hostvet had to pass rigorous tests to prove she could pull bodies from the water or command the boats in strong winds. Of course, she passed these tests, but it was another two years before the first female crew member was recorded on an emergency response. As of 2015, 22 women have received medals from the RNLI 
for demonstrating bravery. And today, the RNLI lifeboat crews include over 600 women. 140,000 lives have been saved by the RNLI in its almost 200-year history, and over 600 lives have been lost in service during that time. Sir William Hillary said, With courage, nothing is impossible. And the RNLI still lives this motto today. But courage comes in all shapes and sizes, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that our membership lives by this quote too. DBE women have shown courage doing what they could during the First and Second World Wars, whether it be rationing and making do, fundraising, code-breaking, or flying. DBE women have shown courage in the careers they choose, in the lives they lead, and in working for a cause bigger than themselves. And that is a heritage to be proud of, ladies. If you want to read more about the RNLI, I'll put the link to their website in the show notes, and if you have any comments or stories of your own that fit today's topic, please email me. I love reading your messages. Podcast at dbenational.org. Until next time. Not ourselves, but the cause.